Hey everyone, I'm Liza. And I'm Annie. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Um, I like that we both have our like sexy raspy morning voices on. We do, we do. It's kind of hot. I was actually doing vocal exercises this morning to try and sound a little less dead. No, you were not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From your glee days, your glee club days. Actually, yeah, this is a great segue. Yes, actually, they were literally from my my glee my glee era days. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, from the name of the episode, guys, we're reading books based on musical no, books that got turned into musicals. <laughs> that was yes. got a little confused there. Um <laughs> so we brought on none other than Annie Planker, who is our queen of the performative arts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Annie, funny. take it away. Um, I'm Annie. I was a theater nerd all through, you know, my childhood and high school. Then when I went to undergrad um, with Marissa and Liza, I was really focusing at first on playwriting because I thought that's what I wanted to do um then my work has turned kind of into um experimental nonfiction and poetry but I still enjoy theatrical writing a lot I'm, I'm also just a Broadway goer and a, a lover of all things theater uh so when they suggested this episode I was I was super stoked to join in um what's the last musical you saw live Mm, I just saw Hades Town um uh like a month ago I was a little late to the party but you know man it's expensive Mm -hmm. so I was I was really excited to get tickets for that for my birthday. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, one of the better shows that I've seen for sure. I loved it when I saw oh, it's it. So good. It's amazing. It's so good. The costuming, the music, the 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 staging uh, is just it's all it's all incredible. Honestly, I love a small cast musical that like has a huge effect. Yeah. No, agreed. I saw um, it's Broadway week at the time we're filming this, but by the time it comes out, no, it'll still be the, it'll be the second week of Broadway. It'll week. Still, yeah, I think it'll still be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw Into the Woods. Oh, nice. I've never seen it live. I've only seen like I've seen the movie. The movie. Mm-hmm. And then when I was little, we had like a a weird like play DVD version of like it was a recording of a musical. Yeah. Um, so I, I've always liked it, but it was very cool. And it was like a lot of people in the audience didn't seem to like the vibe because mm-hmm. I think it was 
I think the people who re- just really enjoy Into the Woods or like Sondheim liked it, but I yeah. think people who weren't familiar with the play before didn't really like this version of it. And then people so, like classicists right. didn't like it because it was like very campy and like kind of bare bones. Um, take. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. I haven't seen the 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 new the new revival um on the Broadway stage. I have a special place in my heart for Into the Woods. It's one of my favorite shows because I was in Into the Woods. Um <laughs> I was Miss Baker's wife, like okay, in high school. Um in high school. And it was one of my absolute favorite roles. It's Sondheim obviously he's a musical genius and you have to like be prepared to appreciate the writing going into um a musical a lot of Sondheim musicals honestly and I think some people uh are expecting a bit more of like a spectacle and it's it's more focused on the music and the writing uh which which doesn't necessarily people get bored and into the woods I remember specifically my uncle (laughs) going to watch me um and he fell asleep no (laughs) he was like you were so good but that was so long um and I was like valid okay yeah I mean if it's not your thing it's not your thing but I personally I love into the woods I think it's a great show that's so funny that we all because I love it you love it and what I told Marissa that that's and that I was going and she was like that's my favorite musical ever but it's a right it's a writer's musical Sondheim makes writers musicals like Sondheim is one of the most genius writers I can think of still to this day everything that he does is is focused on the writing on word choice on word play on callbacks Uh, so so people that love writing that love literature Mm -hmm. love Sondheim you're so right. You're so right. And I think that's like one of the things. And I think that's the thing with Town too. I think um, I for, her name is escaping me. Yeah, me too. Um, Anise Mitchell, Anis Mitchell, I think is maybe her right. um, She She's an incredible writer, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like what I encountered. Like I very much enjoyed the book and the movie of my book and then when I watched when I listened to the soundtrack for the musical I was not as like Mm -hmm. to it and Mm -hmm. I think it's because like no offense to the writer at all but like the writing was like a little bit lazy yeah for the songs sure yeah and I think that people I don't know sometimes when when words get put to music people forget that the words themselves are poetry that's why I think like all of the best songwriters not just Broadway but in life and in the real world they're they're all remembering that the words themselves should stand on their own yes there's there's something about like (laughs) a little diversion but we were just talking I was just talking with my boyfriend about Mitski and we were reading like one of we were reading the lyrics of one of her songs just reading them out loud and i was like this is a this is a work of art mm-hmm. on its own mm-hmm. and and same when you read sondheim same like with um the hades town like when you read the lyrics you're like 
wow, this is great. Then you hear them to music, it it just amplifies the emotion as opposed to like writing the writing the music and then filling in lyrics, which tell the story, but are in and of themselves like breathtaking lyrics. Right, right. That's exactly what I thought happened with um with Big Fish. And mm. it also reminds me, like uh, Marissa and I do like a lit news of the week, but today the I mean, this time it's Broadway news of the week that Phantom is closing. Um, And I love Phantom. Like, it literally is one of my favorite musicals of all time. I used to be obsessed with it. I loved the movie. And when I was, like, 12, I think my sister got me tickets to see it on Broadway. But Andrew Lloyd Webber, some of his songs are are really good. And the lyrics are beautiful. Mm -hmm. But some of them are just stupid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's real. That's real. Phantom is my all-time number one favorite show. Yes, um, ma'am. So I, it, yeah, I have a, a soft spot in my heart. But also, I was thirteen when I became obsessed with Phantom. Right. I think that says a lot about it. Like the the actual music. This is one where it gets tricky because Weber's music is so good. Yes. It is. You know, for Phantom, it's this '80s rock inspired beautiful like synth organ giant masterpiece that sometimes it's okay that the lyrics fall a little way to to the wayside because the music is just so insanely good but also that's a that's a spectacle show I mean like um, especially if you're talking about like the movie version or something the aesthetic of it the the feeling of it is what people like you know uh, it's not it's not that word focused um word focused type of musical I will also say that when you're writing uh, a full-length show that's all music it can feel very different than a full-length show where there's songs in between totally Totally. Cause I was just thinking that too. Cause I was, I was thinking about how beautiful the music in Phantom is and the, the lyrics I was thinking about that were stupid where the, the masquerade painted faces in a shape, like dumb. Yeah. But I love that song. And that's all that they say the whole time. Masquerade. <laughs> Every face, a different shade. Masquerade. Um, and it's like, okay. You know, if you read that, you'd be like, this is, this is kind of a boring poem, but it's a spectacle i mean it's huge it's props it's costuming it's choreography it's music 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 so it, it it's okay right. um honestly you in certain shows things lend themselves to bigger music or bigger words or you know it, it just depends on the kind of story you want to tell um and you know weber's telling a love story yeah. um and he's telling a romantic story, um, a dark romance. And that's the focus. The focus is on like the emotion. It's not on, whereas Town is so much about music. Like the storyline yeah. is actually so much about music. So to focus on l- lyricism makes sense. Yeah. I think it just, it just depends on the show. Basically. Yeah. You're so right. And, and the difference between like a rock opera and a musical like you were saying yeah yeah um or an opera and a musical even because like I feel we'll get into it in like a second but I even feel weird judging Big Fish solely based on the soundtrack because I didn't see the play sure and the soundtrack was actually fairly short which leads me to believe 
there was a lot of like straight dialogue. up dialogue and uh, yeah. actual scenes in between the songs. And I think that I think that there's a there's a potential that that would have made up for the fact that the songs were a little bit like lackluster, I guess, because sure. it wasn't an opera. They they didn't need to convey the entire story in the songs. Well, and I think what happens a lot of times, this is perhaps a little controversial, and you know, no shade to um, to Broadway writers who do this, but I think a lot of times when you have um, a, a show like Big Fish, you're drawing on the popularity of what already is mm. um, to create a show that will draw in viewers who already know the story mm-hmm. when you're going into into the woods if you aren't a musical goer you might know that it's about like um you know fairy tales or bad things in fairy tales but you don't know the story likely people that are going to see big fish are people that have seen the movie big fish you know right. what i mean right um so I think it's it's intended to draw a different crowd. Most people who go to see Phantom go because they know the the at this point in time at least, you know, there was a time in the 80s where that wasn't the case, but they go because they know the music, they know the storyline, they know how famous it is. So they know like somewhat to some degree what to expect. But also that's a show that wasn't necessarily written. Um off of the fame of something else yes the phantom of the opera was a famous book but it it didn't have the the you know the movie was not was not a pre no a pre-musical thing so or at least the movie that most people associate with it the gerard butler from (laughs) 20 i don't know i don't even know what year that was yeah eight or something i don't know i'm kind of making that up no you're so right um, and that's why I'm curious to see, because both of ours, I feel like, were much more well-known before they were a musical, mm-hmm. whereas Marissa did Wicked, which I feel like a lot of yeah. people maybe saw Wicked first and then yeah. read the book. I think it makes a huge difference. I think it makes a huge difference um, building a musical off of the fame of something that already is, or finding a book that you adore um okay let's be real Hamilton went the other way Hamilton was a book that you know Lin-Manuel was reading Hamilton and thought you know this book that I'm reading on Hamilton yes Alexander Hamilton's a famous character but this book that I'm reading isn't like a book that everyone reads and everyone's talking about but he could feel the story in the book as opposed to being like something with big fish where it's like okay this is a popular story this is you know a popular movie people know this story and movie and then you're kind of you're kind of capitalizing on the fame that already is whereas Hamilton got written more because Lin-Manuel could feel the story underneath it as opposed to just writing like the wave of what already people already knew about it right right that makes me think of one more thing before we get into our rating scales. Like when you write a musical based on a movie versus doing something like what Lin-Manuel Miranda did, where he, you like you said, he found the story underneath Hamilton. And I feel like the person who wrote Wicked 
Um, was is that Andrew Lloyd Webber too? No, no, no it I is. Don't not. Who, I don't know who wrote it. Honestly, <laughs> it's not because the it's not his vibe. Um, no. but whoever you know wrote Wicked, um, did the same thing. I think because I think that book is very different than the it's musical. Stephen Schwartz, by the way. Steven. Okay, Stephen Schwartz. But I was thinking, this is not a great analogy, um, but <laughs> the, right, the, the Shrek musical. Oh, don't get me started. You know I love Shrek. You Which, know like, I love Shrek. It does slap ass. And so many songs in that musical are actually so beautiful. That that was a that was a, a, a musical that focused on lyricism, which is so funny because, you know, they, I think they also... It's also the difference in writing a funny show versus writing a a very serious show because it's I think this is just true of all writing. Serious can go cheesy or cliche so much faster than like funny can, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just easier to just lean lean a little too far, and sometimes Phantom, like you were saying, goes a little too far into the cliches. Um, whereas funny is like. It can still be funny, even if you've heard it before, or even if you know, you know, whatever. There's a whole, there's a whole song in um, Shrek that's just farting, like right, right, right. <laughs> um, and it's funny, like it's just funny because it's just it always will be, you know. We 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 always laugh at that. Mm-hmm. It's funny every time. And it, and it it's so. Doing turning that into a musical is so different than t- t- taking Shrek the movie and turning it into the musical is so different than taking him yes. the book. You were in Shrek, yeah. right? I was. I was Fiona. Of course you were. Yeah, as I said, I love I love Shrek the musical, and who would have known? But it's honestly such a good musical. It's. There's that one, that one song Shrek sings that's like, yes, I'd be a hero. It's so pretty. It's like, it's like tear jerking. Yes. <laughs> yes. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess with that said, um, we'll get into our reviews. Hello. So this is future Marissa here. I'm recording after Annie and Eliza because I had something to do. I'm really sorry. But I still want to talk to you about the book that I read because it is a very well-known musical and very loved by many. Um, I would say, well, what do I know? I'm, I'm not, I'm not a musical person. Never been. Also, if I sound weird, I am recording this on my headphones. So apologies for the poor sound quality. So yeah, so I read Wicked by Gregory Maguire. Okay, first, this book was published in 1995. So there are some things that I'm like, hmm, that's a little bit outdated about this, but I'm not horribly upset about it. There was there was only one thing that I was kind of like, don't like that. And also, I've seen Wicked twice, once on Broadway, and then once when... It came to Buffalo, and it was at Shays, and it was lovely both times, and I loved it both times. Um, I got this book years ago, 
I was probably 18 when I got this book, and it's just been sitting on my shelf. I thrifted it, and it just sat on my shelf for years, and I never picked it up to read it until when we decided we were doing this episode. And I was real scared at first, too, because I was like, this is long. This is a long one, but I just went for it. And hey, it worked out great. If you didn't know this about Wicked, because I don't know, maybe you don't, maybe you don't know what Wicked is. Um, so let me tell you, the full title is Wicked, the Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. And if you don't know who the Wicked Witch of the West is, she's from The Wizard of Oz. And while your brain will probably immediately go to the 1930s movie with Judy Garland, which is totally fine, totally cool. This book is more of a revisionist text based on the wonderful Wizard of Oz, the L. Frank Baum book. Not much of it is really goes off the movie. So glad that we got that out of the way. Readability and interest. I gave this a nine. Um, so this is a a large book it's 500 plus pages and yet I feel like I zoomed through it fairly quickly on the first day I read it I knocked out 100 pages like that and I found the beginning of this book to be really really compelling to me I just hadn't read a book like this one in a while that was fantasy but like definitely a dark fantasy more adult and it felt like it's like some of the books you read, it almost doesn't feel like the author has the whole story in mind. They're telling it piece by piece, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's totally cool. But with Wicked, it felt like the ending was in mind the whole time, and then it it was like every piece was centered around a whole. I'm not quite sure how to explain it, but um, and, and that's probably because he he did know the ending because it's a revisionist text. But also, it could be... A reading thing too because I also knew somewhat where the story was heading because I not only saw the musical but I also my The Wizard of Oz is like one of my sister's favorite movies of all time so I've seen that movie more times than I've probably seen any other movie in my life for language and style I gave it a seven Parts of the writing were really, really beautiful, almost lyrical. Um, there's some really wonderful description of, descriptions of Oz. Um, I'll say I love a good book with a map in it. I want to see where we're going. I want to see this land laid out. And this one had a really, really beautiful map that I was really happy about it. It felt to me like Gregory Maguire was really writing for himself and not others which is interesting to like I don't know I feel like oftentimes you are taught to write with your readers in mind your audience in mind which isn't a bad tip it's a perfectly fine tip um but it felt like Gregory was writing for himself and I don't know to be writing like a revisionist piece I wonder you know you're taking the story that you've read inside and out and you love so much maybe you kind of are just writing for yourself for your own I don't know, fun of it to see what you can do. I don't know. What do I know? Nothing. Um, anyways. So, like, there there was little almost secrets within and things that you wouldn't know. 
I would assume you wouldn't know unless you knew one of the characters. I I've I have the OG Wizard of Oz, but I have never actually read it. And one of the characters in there is a character that you know Dorothy meets along the way, and I would have never known that unless I like I would have never known that that was a character in the original book unless I had read the book. Things like that, or. There's one part that I will talk about in a little bit. It was the only part that I kind of really didn't like. And that part has... People have speculated about that part. And they are assuming that he's making comments about L. Frank Baum and his personal life. Which is interesting. But, again, you wouldn't know that unless you knew that. So... Um, yeah, that's that about that. I would also say I like how he talks about a lot of things without it being shoved down your throat. Like, he uses the political, the, the political sphere of Oz to talk about very real issues and often very dark issues. And I think, you know, a lot of times, maybe not a lot of times, I don't know. I just think it's good for writers to be doing that. Because we have the skills to it, we can. But that's what I'll say on that. There's also something to say about writing pieces of a story already written. I didn't write form, but that's what I was thinking about for form. You kind of have a script made. But this this story goes so far off that script. Like, it sticks to the original. But it's just talking about a completely other character and a completely different life even before Dorothy dropped into Oz. And it really does make you think about the original a completely different way. And that's so interesting. I mean, like I said, I I grew up watching The Wizard of Oz. I feel like I've seen it so many times. I know it like the back of my hand. But, But to have another story come in that makes me see it completely differently is so interesting um that it could change something that has been the same since i was young i don't know exactly if i'm explaining that right but yeah for shelf worthiness slash read again i gave this an eight i'm keeping this book i think that it's big enough that there were probably a lot of things that i missed Um, And I also think it would be interesting to read the original Wizard of Oz and then reread this book and see things that I missed because there's probably tons of it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Because this book is one of four, I don't know if I will read the other ones. Um, I think I kind of had my fix of it. Um, I don't really think... It's not the kind of story that you really need the other ones to get everything, but maybe that's just my opinion. Who knows? So for plot, I gave this a six. Some parts felt a little flat to me. Um, Like I said, the beginning was really compelling to me. So the beginning was really compelling to me, but there were parts of the story that got slower. Not slow enough for me to stop reading just slow where I was really kind of unsure about where the story was going by the end there were a few things I would have liked explained a little more and I guess I'm sure that many other things and 
I already know a couple things that weren't didn't get fully explained are further explained in the next book, which is called Son of a Witch, I believe. Though, like I said, I don't think I'm going to read the others. Um, I'll also say there were a few unnecessary parts, in my opinion. So I'm going to spoil this. And um, not only am I going to spoil it, so if you don't want to hear spoilers, jump ahead to 31 minutes and 45 seconds. But also, I'll say um, trigger warning for sexual assault. So also, if you don't want to hear that, skip that too. So there's this one part, after a funeral, the group of college friends end up, so this this takes place, this part takes place when Alphaba's in college, and this is really the end of her time at college. Um, she made friends at college, there was a group, all this other stuff, so there was a funeral that happened, and then they, Alphaba and Glinda and Alphaba's sister decide not to go. And Alphaba convinces Glinda to run away to Oz with her. And the rest of the group, except Alphaba's sister, which I think there was like five or six of them, maybe seven, I think there were six. No, there were seven. Either way, they decide to go to um, this place that was called, hold on, let me look it up really quick. The Philosophy Club which is um, a strip club and like more than that and something not so chill happens to one of the friends he was sodomized by a tiger which is just interesting to me um not my favorite um and I was like, oh, okay, this will probably come back in some way. Never comes back. Never comes back. And I have read that apparently, um, I, I've heard that apparently L. Frank Baum was, um, a part of this club called the Theology Club. I don't know how true that is, but I think that um, I've read that Gregory Maguire was trying to make some kind of comment about that club, although I'm not really sure what it entailed. I, I don't really understand the full thing of it, and I thought it was weird. And it made me uncomfortable to read. And um, I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. So I would be careful to, to go into that, to read that. If that's, I don't know, if that's what you're, if you're going to read this book, just look out for that, I guess. <sighs> um... So I really didn't like that part. It didn't, like, it felt to me like there was no point. Even, like, I've been thinking about it since I read it, which I read this over a month ago. And I'm still, like, I have no idea why that would even be in this book. 
I don't know why he would think of that. I don't know. Was he saying that that happened in like that things like that would happen? I don't know. I don't know what it was. Didn't like it. Moving on from that. I think to compare it to the musical, if you're reading this book because you thought the musical was fun and beautiful, maybe don't because this book is really, really dark. It's not happy. Your characters aren't super fun, quirky. They're really all deeply flawed characters. Like, they're not disappointing characters. Like, they're not... I'm not disappointed in the characters. I'm just, like... There's no, like, heroic arc in this, really, I guess, for any character. There's no... I don't know. Um, And also, the ending is very different. And I think that if you're striving for the... the, um, very interconnected happy ending of Wicked the Musical, you're going to be disappointed by the ending of Wicked the Book. Like I said, the, the musical is wonderful. It's one of my favorites. It's fun. I think the costumes are beautiful. The dancing's always wonderful. The songs are iconic. But unfortunately, this book is just really, really dark. And I love that. Um... I thought that was really cool, but it's it's not the musical. Um, okay, so for characterization, I gave this a 7. Characters are interesting. I wish we dug a little bit deeper into some of them, but I also enjoyed that um, McGuire didn't like spoon-feed you his characters. You were left to kind of figure things out and connect yourself why they do the things that they do. So there was that. Um... Overall, I liked this book, and I w- if you can handle how dark it is, I would totally recommend it. And if you liked the musical even, I would say consider it, but just remember that you're reading something else almost entirely. And that is that on that. Now back to Liza and Annie. Um, but... This was an interesting experience because, okay, first of all, I read Big Fish by Daniel Wallace, um, which was turned into a movie, a Tim Burton movie in the 2000s, and then turned into a musical for this stage um, in like 2013, I want to say, with a book book written by the same guy who wrote the script for um, the film. I was doing some research on it. I don't think it was very well received as a Broadway musical. People really liked it off Broadway. Um, But from what I could tell, once it hit Broadway, it was sort of mixed reviews and it it didn't stay on for a long time. And I, it's not one I don't think would get a revival, Mm -hmm. but the movie is a cult classic. Yeah. And I can see why. And the book, a lot of people enjoy the book, but I think it's even less well known than the movie. And it was just interesting to experience this uh this story in three different forms of media. And I I've ended up like if I had to rank book, movie, musical, 
it's an entirely opposite way than I would have thought because I actually liked the movie the best. I thought the movie was amazing. Yeah. I wept at the yeah. end. Yeah. It was insane. Then I would do the book and then I would do the musical. But like I said earlier, I feel like I didn't get to fully experience the musical because I only got to listen to the songs. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. But with that being said, I'll get into my rating scale. And to give just a summary of the book for those who don't know, like like I, like we were talking about, I think a lot of people have, have seen the movie. I had never seen it before this. But it's basically about this man who has lived like this really crazy life filled with all of this like there's giants and mermaids and big fish and like all these things that don't sound like they could ever be real but he tells the stories as if they are real and the story is coming from his son who's basically saying like my dad is made up of myths like I can't tell what's real what's not if he's telling the truth or what and it's his father his father is on his deathbed and that's the perspective from which we're getting all of these stories and the book does it in a different way than the movie and and the musical from what I could tell from the musical follows the movie like pretty much to a t um the best that they could but yeah, that's a little summary of it. For readability, I gave this book a seven. I really liked, I thought this book was very digestible. It's only 175 pages. You, right. I didn't read it all in one sitting, but it would be very easy to. And I'll just jump directly down to form, which I also gave a seven to say why this book is so di- digestible. It is in these little vignettes of these little stories about... Um, this father and to me the form was working and I think that's what made this book so easy to read but it almost read more like a book of short stories because of that instead of a novel and I've had this happen with a few books I've read recently that I'm like I almost wish the author of this book had painted it as a book of short stories with a connecting thread instead of a novel and I guess this is a little different because it's all the same guy and it is pretty linear but all the chapters could stand completely alone which I feel like in a novel in another novel I can't think of one off the top of my head but then maybe like another novel that has vignettes the stories can't stand alone whereas here they very much felt like they could and I think that's part of the reason why I did like the movie better because it felt more connected. It had this running um, thread through it all. And I think that especially came in the fact that it's flashing, it's, it's this man telling his life story or his son telling, relaying these stories from his dad, but you're also seeing, seeing him sick and like waiting for the end of the story when he is eventually gonna die. Um, And it's almost more like that flashback aspect of it and storytelling aspect of it comes across really well in the movie, whereas in the book it does, it's like a book of fables. And I think that's actually what Daniel Wallace was intending for it to be a book of myths and a book of fables Mm -hmm. with a connecting thread that they all come from this man. But I don't know. That's just how I kind of, that's the only reason I rank this maybe lower 
um, that I otherwise would have. That being said, I did give the writing style um, a nine. I loved this author's style. It was very, and this is sort of a trait of mine. I do like very bare bones writing. Like, I guess you would say plain language, but when the author is still doing something weird with it, whether that be repetition or like, this author did a lot of like, almost like the narrator would say something and then he would have to like verify it again, if that makes sense. Like, he'd be like, my father did this. Yes, he was, did a, like, if that makes any sense. Like, almost like a concluding statement to everything. Like, I can't find a good example. We'll do this one, and then I'm probably going to end up putting in a different one after. Um, but we'll do this. They say you could hear them laughing into the night, my father and these sweet young girls. Hear their laughter echoing through town in the night, on his front porch, swinging. Laughter was the sound of choice to sleep by in Ashland. That's the way it was back then. Like, mm. I, you know, that like that's almost like another writer would say that without having like the, that's the way it was yeah. back then, or like the comma, my father. Like, it's conversational. Yes. That's, yeah, that's probably what I, <laughs> that's probably the word I was going for. But I really did love the writing style. Um, for this story even if like I said I ranked it lower other places because other than that I basically did sevens across the board for I did give plot an eight even though like I said I think the plot actually translates well and better in the movie which I would never usually say but sometimes that happens sometimes you like a movie better than a book and that's literally fine but I do just love the overall message of this plot and I think as a writer, I like that we can't tell whether he was making up all of these stories. Mm -hmm. I think that's really sweet. And how if like when you die, your like story can like live on after you die. If you like told enough crazy stories about yourself mm -hmm. or if you like wrote down enough crazy stories about yourself. So I do really like that. And that's why the movie like I was weeping by the end of it. For yeah. shelf. For, right for shelf worthiness I gave this a seven I feel like I'm gonna hang on to this um because I do think it's like a sweet book I also think it would be fine to borrow I will say I have a friend at work this older man Jerry he's lovely who Big Fish is his favorite movie like ever and he mm -hmm. was like I've never read the book and I was like I've never seen the movie so I read the book and then I watched the movie and I was telling him about how, how much I love the movie but I still told him like I think you should still read the book yeah. because I think it would be a different experience for you this being like your favorite movie and then reading the book whereas me like never have encountered Big Fish in any way shape or form and then consuming it in all of its forms in like the span of one week oh. hmm. so I still told him that he should read the book and then for lastly, characterization, I did give this book a seven as well, because I do love this like father son bond. And I do think all the like additional like weird characters are so vivid in this book. But the only reason I didn't rank it any higher is because the same way I feel about 
in fairy tales that you don't get an absolute view of a character. I kind of felt that in this book, which is kind of funny that we that we were talking about Into the Woods because I sometimes feel like Into the Woods was like Sondheim's way of exploring these fairy tale characters yeah. and their personality traits in a way that they were never explored in their original fairy tale. Right. So I maybe think that it, it, Daniel Wallace taking on the form of a myth or a fairy tale, he maybe did have to abandon some things that we consider like characterization because of the form he was taking on. And you can do the opposite of that too. Like you can tell a fairy tale and make characterization the emphasis. You could flip flop it. Yeah. Or you can yeah. take a normal story and turn it into a fairy tale and take on the uh, more fairy tale traits of it. Sure. Um, but yeah, in terms of this translating well into a musical, uh, like I said, I didn't see it, so I can't fully comment on it but I do think this musical was meant to be a spectacle like we were talking about right like Phantom of the Opera like the movie is such a spectacle that I think they tried to do the exact same thing in the Mm -hmm. musical but I wonder if they should have done sort of the opposite Mm -hmm. because this story is so outlandish I'm kind of curious to know what it would have sounded like and looked like had it been like brought down to bare bones like we were talking about and if the music because the music was very 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 classic Broadway and I kind of like when stuff isn't like classic Broadway and this this whole story takes place in the bulk of it takes place in Alabama so I'm I was thinking I was like what if all the music had been bluegrass or something like that yeah or just different ways that it could have been like I don't know if you've ever seen once or heard the music from once yeah Yeah. Yeah. gorgeous and that was a movie first too um but I the music is so beautiful and it's so unlike what we think of when we think of Broadway that I'm like I wonder what would have happened if Big Fish had done that sort of thing or even if they had done like a Hades Town sort of thing instead of going in the direction of this big I don't even know if there's a, how would you like describe classic Broadway songs? Like, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, I don't know. Broadway has a sound. I don't know how to describe the sound. Um, I I think when I think classic Broadway, you know, if you look back to a lot of the shows that were popular in the seventies and eighties, you're going to get more of a feel of classic Broadway because I think um, now it's a lot more common with like, especially with things like Hamilton, um, which have now translated into things like Town, where the music is so stylized. You're seeing a lot more distinction between shows with the type of music that they're doing that became really, really popular and trendy to start doing. Mm-hmm. But there was a time especially even earlier than that when you're talking about like musicals from the 40s and 50s where every musical had the same sound um in that maybe that's an overgeneralization but all the ones I can think of they all they all sound the same I don't know this it's hard to describe but if you know then you know yeah yeah and I was um I like I almost like when 
the music doesn't necessarily go with the what you would think it would be like I don't know if you saw this I feel like you would love it but the new Cyrano movie is a musical and it is one of my favorite things to have ever no occurred we'll definitely watch it because I'm obsessed okay the music is so different than what you would expect and let me pull it up because the guy who the people who did it are from some famous like indie band the music is like if I can't find who actually did the the music oh Aaron Dessner what is he from um but it's very like kind of like Bonnie Vare yeah cool like that style do you know the band the national yeah i love the national honestly that's the that those are the guys that wrote the music first this year no movie music oh my gosh this is so cool i have to see it you have to you have to see it and so the music sounds like the national and i'm like they should do that more often like have yeah i mean that that's what made hamilton famous if Hamilton had been not <laughs> rap and hip hop, uh, especially rap and hip hop sung by people of color, it would not have had the traction that it had. No, it would have been if it would have been, as you say, this classic Broadway sound. Eh, like, would it have been? Would it have? You know, that's impossible to know, but I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine that it would have had anywhere near near the effect of uh of what it of what it has had on not only like just viewers of it, but also every writer since Hamilton was written uh, in the Broadway world has probably changed a little bit because of the the overwhelming effect that Hamilton had. The, the, probably the biggest one before that was Wicked. Um yeah was like a huge you know nationwide sweep but yeah Hamilton did something different and that's why it had the traction that it had we kind of have to stay like I kind of stand Lin-Manuel Miranda even though he's so cringy oh my god I love him I like he he's it's like funny that he's like a little cringy but at the same time like he's a Nope, almost cursed. He's genius. He's a genius. <laughs> he is a genius. Like if you are reading the Hamilton script, if you know rap and hip hop, you are just stunned by the the influence that he has. Uh, you know, he took all of these famous rap and hip hop songs, beats, lyrics, vibes um and and put them into a story about a founding father like (laughs) um and and did it in a way that seems honest and real and not like it's trying too hard and I don't you know I don't know how I don't know that's that's genius to me yeah it is it is and uh, into the heights is amazing too like yeah, not into the heights. I was conflated. <laughs> right, I know what you were doing. In, in the, the heights is yeah. also amazing. Yeah, and honestly, everything that he's helped on since then, like Moana, 
Moana is epic. Moana is epic. Um, and he has such a distinct vibe and sound. And I think a lot of the time, yes, it's nice to be able to like adapt your writing style to fit the needs of your project. But I think there's really something to be said about not being overwhelmed by, but always recognizing the fact that whatever you're listening to is is Lin-Manuel like you can you can tell you can tell when it is and that's that's a special quality that's a special characteristic Mm -hmm. it is he's like Shakespeare (laughs) no I like I I I don't think that you can I I have a hard time saying that people are overhyping him and anyway anything that they say about him because you're not really if, and if you listen to him talk about his work, it only makes him more like, yo, he is crazy smart. I mean, people don't even understand how smart he is because they can't even get the references that he's making. Yeah. Like when you hear him talk about the work, he's like, oh, yes, this beat or this undulation from this classic song was actually the inspiration, you know, for this interlude. And you're like, what? Like, what? I think, you know, I didn't know that, but everything, everything was purpose. And, and also it's just a deep love and knowledge of music. His, his runs so deep that, um, that it, it it just really, the show encompasses his, his crazy knowledge of music, uh, and musicals. Mm -hmm. We love, we love him. But one thing about Big Fish is like, I haven't seen actually I never saw that musical so I you know when do you know when it ran it ran from I believe 2013 to 20 I don't know why I was under the impression that it was not on Broadway for ever a long time 2013 was the first performance but that was in Chicago Mm -hmm. I think it was 2014 on Broadway and then I'm, I want to figure out when it closed because when did Big Fish close on Broadway? Oh, yeah. Oh, no! <laughs> it, was, it was a brief, brief run, man. It was a... It, it premiered at Neil Simon on September 5th, 2013 and closed on December 29th, 2013. Man, them's the, them's the cards. That's the cards, man. Like, that happens to shows. Yeah, um, it probably thought it was going to receive a larger intake of visitors because of the famousness of the, the movie um, and probably didn't. And you never know. That could have just been like a producer pulling funds or something. You, ne- you never know. You never right. know what happened. Um, a star or two gets lost and they decide to call it quits but yeah it was it was so brief oh so brief but I you know I love Big Fish uh the movie that's the only thing I can talk about it's the only thing I've seen I used to have dreams about that movie when I was a kid because apparently I watched my dad really likes that movie it's such a dad movie I don't it know is how a dad to movie. my dad loves that movie I know we must have watched it when I was very very young um and then like throughout my childhood it was kind of one of those things where I would have dreams about the catfish yeah um and I really wasn't sure why I was having these dreams um and then when I was a bit older you know in 14 or 15 I saw big fish again 
probably with my dad again and I was like wait a minute this is where I've been getting this my whole life the catfish Um, that it's actually kind of great because it really added to like the mysticism and the magicalness for me because it felt like a weird part of my my childhood um I I had dreams about that like so much I don't know it's it's very like a movie you could dream about because it feels like a dream in a lot of ways it does that's also so funky that you were dreaming of the catfish because like no spoilers but I think a lot of people have already seen this that like the big the the loop is that the big fish that the father was catching is the father yeah and it's like that when he dies he becomes the yeah. giant catfish and yeah. so like, that's a funny thing to dream about like a- I know I know but obviously it had a meaning to me even as a small child right I obviously like felt something in that right yeah so good I'm excited to hear about the color purple okay so I read the color purple well I should say reread um I read this in high school I didn't remember it um <laughs> I blocked out most of high school. I don't remember high school, but I was like, you know what? I I should definitely pick this one because I also saw the twenty, what fifteen revival of the color purple. I think I saw it in twenty seventeen, close to when it was close to when it was ending. I actually saw it maybe twenty sixteen, but I saw it when I came to New York to visit colleges. And we kind of lucked out, got cheap tickets, um, and it was one of my top shows I've ever seen. Still to this day, probably a top three. It's an incredible, incredible musical. So I was really excited to to talk about this one. So um, it was written in 1982 by Alice Walker. And in 1983, it won the Pulitzer. So... I mean, the, you're you're gonna see from my ratings. You know, it's 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 insane. It's 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 a it's an unbelievable book. Um, in 1985, they made a movie based off of it, which honestly I wanted to rewatch, but I haven't seen in so long, so I can't. I don't remember that much about it. I, I didn't get the chance to rewatch it. But it starred Whoopi Goldberg as the main character, Seely. And then in 2005, it uh, debuted on. Broadway uh the book was written by Marsha Norman the book for the musical and then the music and lyrics were by Brenda Russell Allie Willis and Stephen Bray it won or received 11 Tony nominations in 2006 so that can tell you a little bit about what it is and then in 2015 they decided to do a revival so for it ran from 2015 to 2017 and in 2016 it won best revival So it's, I mean, it's not only a hyper acclaimed book, but a hyper acclaimed musical. Um, And actually there, I'm really excited about this. This makes it very timely. They're doing a film adaptation of the musical, um, which is going to come out in December uh, of 2023. So be on the lookout for that because I I honestly can't wait to re-experience the show. Um, especially since it's unclear whether we're, we will ever get another revival since they've already done one revival. It's kind of uncommon to get like multiple revivals and the show is so good. It's so good. But anyway, um, yeah. So I guess I'll start into my, my rankings. So for readability, I mean, this is a binge book 
I'm giving it a nine probably this this is it's first of all it's it's not super long it's like 200 it's, it's two it says 280 pages um but I'll talk about this more with form it's a really quick read it's a really quick read um and it's so interesting you just want to keep going it's it's written in digestible chunks so it's it's very you know it's it's hard to put down every page almost is a section of it is a new section um and i think those always that always makes a book feel really fast really easy to read uh as for language and style this is the thing that i think makes this book incredible um this is this is why you win a pulitzer <laughs> um this is why you have a movie with oprah winfrey and Whoopi goldberg this is why you get two you know a revival a musical and a revival of a musical the language is, I mean, to, I'm going to give it a 9.5. And the only reason I say 9.5 and not 10 is because I could see perhaps someone that's not as much of a reader being a little bit, a little, um, having a hard time maybe first getting into it because the the language is written entirely from first person perspective and it's all A-A-V-E, so African American Vernacular English. It's written, it's written from the point of view of a poor, uneducated black woman. So occasionally you have to kind of, you know, figure out what's being written if if you, you have to sound it out phonetically so that you can hear it. Um, and sometimes that's just a little like startling to see on a page for people that are unfamiliar with writing that's a little different. But it's what makes this book fantastic. It's what makes this book like the, the, the every 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 word is feels spoken. So it's a nine point five, if not a ten. You know, as long as you can get into the first page, then you'll be fine. For the form, okay. So the form is also just—it's great. It's it's an eight it's experimental this is like my favorite kind of book so it's written in letters the entire book is written in letters most of the letters begin with dear god um and that's Seely, the main character writing to god which is her her version of the universe um essentially and then and then kind of ends in her writing to her sister nettie and Nettie writing back to her. So then you'll get Dear Nettie or Dear Seely um, back and forth. But the entire thing is written in letters. So the form is fun. It's quick. It's easy to read. It's at least an eight. For shelf worthy, I mean, this is a 10. It's a 10. It's a 10. It's, it's something everyone should have on the shelf. It's a book you can read. I could probably reread it again right now, honestly, and find new things in it. Everything about it people need to read everyone should read the book and you should read it more than once because i like i said i read it in high school i don't remember much about it and then rereading it i'm like i probably got so much more out of it this time than i did last time and if i reread again in two years i'll probably get even more out of it every time you should have it on yourself it's it's amazing plot it's it's a good plot um 
It's not the focus of the book, though. I would say, you know, it's a seven plot-wise. It's not It's not the point of the book. The point isn't about what happens. Um, it's about relationships and experiences. And it's it's bigger than the plot in a lot of ways. So I would definitely give it a seven. And then characterization. So because it's first-person perspective, you're invested in the main character like way more than any other character but you're invested in her in like a 10 in a 10 way you you are so invested in the main character and her story and her life and what's happening to her and the things that have already happened to her and how she changes and grows um and there are some characters that you really love in the book too and that have significant development even from a first person perspective so i think every other character is like a nine and the, and the main character is a 10 in characterization. It's excellent. Overall, I mean, this is, you know, we give our overall score later, but this is something that everyone should read. I I have a hard time even, like, describing to you how much, how much everyone should read it. When I saw the show yeah, in 2016, it has the same feeling. The show is is a, a wonderful 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 musical it is highly emotional i saw it with my brother my mom my mom's partner and the four of us sat through the musical for two and a half hours and cried you, you just you're looking over at each other and everyone just has tears in their eyes the entire show but it's the same as the book it's not a hopeless um kind of sad it's there's so much hope there's so much beauty there's learning there's experience in a way that it in a way that allows you to keep going through like all of the terribleness that you also see in it because you're writing about a, a poor uneducated black woman who has the worst experiences that you could probably imagine any person to have and she has them her entire life and that could be way too much. It could be uh, one of those things where you're reading it and you're like, ugh, this just makes me feel like so sad. And it does make you feel so sad. It makes you, it makes you upset, but it's such a human story. You see the, the strength and the, the, the willingness or the desire to keep moving forward in life maybe because that's the only thing you know how to do is to just keep going but you feel it so hard so hard throughout both the um the book and the musical i will say one thing that really was interesting to me is that it, in my recollection and like i said it's been a few years since i've seen the musical so maybe not as much but in my recollection the musical is a lot less gay the book the main character uh, this is a spoiler but uh, you know eh, most people know the colorful book um the book the main character Celie develops her first real love relationship where she's actually loved as a human being as a uh, as a as a partner as an individual is with well first it's her sister but then when she really has a romantic relationship is with another woman and it's they're in love 
they love each other and not only that but like they're sexually intimate with each other it's not just like we're best friends and that's the end of it you know they they love each other in every way that you can think to love someone and I remember specifically in the musical I think I mean they definitely kiss um but I don't know if there was a so much focus on the relationship in in the in like a sexual way or in a loving like lesbian way um in the musical now I'll also say it's hard to fit a whole book into a musical it's just like a movie you're always like missing parts but I think that that may have been a little deliberate I don't know it felt a little bit like they they washed out lesbianism which is such a integral part of this book because that is how this character experiences love for the first time with women she you know it's first her sister who's her everything her best friend uh and then it becomes this other woman and really those are the two guiding lights for her in life that's what she that and her uh her children who she doesn't know but it's it's so much a book about being a woman about being a woman with no resources um, and and only making it through because of the other women in life. And you see great characterization of other women too. They're not perfect women. They're not um, boring women. They all have distinct characteristics, distinct personalities, and they feel so real. Uh, they're real characters. They're real people. They're real humans who are struggling and like trying to do the right thing. And you see the char- our characters' growth is specifically through women. So I wish that the musical would have had a little bit more focus on the interpersonal relationships between women, because I think it's more important than, than they made it, perhaps. Um, and it wasn't so much of an individualized self-growth as like a growth that happens because of the relationships with other women. But that being said, the musical is still amazing. It's it's kind of, um, it's more of like a bare bones, kind of like you were talking about. Uh, they have a wall of chairs. Um, that's essentially the setting uh and it the it stays the entire the entire show if i can remember correctly and the props that they use are the chairs off of the walls um and pieces of fabric and baskets there's nothing over the top about the setting there's nothing over the top about costuming it's all very true to the story um and not not overly done not overly showy which it shouldn't be because that's that's the exact opposite of what the book is about. The book is not an overly showy book. It's not about people who had access to anything overly showy. So I think they did that really well. And the music is just incredible. The music is like, it's it's so moving. It's tear jerking the whole time you're crying um, because it's so real, it's so human. Um, and it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story in book form and a beautiful story in musical form. So that's why it got such high ratings on everything. Um, was Cynthia Enviro, is that her name? Cynthia Enviro? Was she Cynthia in the- Cynthia Cynthia Was she in the original? 
play, uh, musical? No, I think she's only the revival. So did you see her? I saw Cynthia Rudolph. <gasps> no fucking way. I did. And she, yeah, everything that you've heard. Yeah, it's true. She is like five feet tall, maybe a little bit taller than that. But she's a tiny woman um, with the most amazing, incredible, powerful, loud voice that just completely captivates. It was one of those shows where the audience is collectively holding their breath um, throughout the majority of the show. You can feel the weight on the entire audience. And it's it's mostly due to her, she, you know, or and, and the character, Celie's character is a weighty character. Um, but that's because the characterization is so freaking fantastic. Um, and you see her story, her growth. Um, but yeah, Cynthia Rebo was amazing, amazing. You can you can watch that YouTube cl- clip of her singing "I'm Here." Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. For anyone that hasn't seen that, it's totally worth the watch. It's it's my one of my top three moments on Broadway. Wow, is her singing that song? Just out of curiosity, what are the other two? <laughs> okay well one of them's silly because it was just like one of those you know um actually both of the other ones are silly like it's all <laughs> things that like they were cliches but that's okay um the very first show I ever saw on Broadway was Phantom I was 16 years old my mom took me to New York for my 16th birthday and for two days and we got to see Phantom of the Opera which I was obsessed with as uh, as a t- teenager and first of all that was very cool because I got to see and I'm I'm spacing his name it's been a while I got to see the first black phantom ever to perform on the stage here I've got his name right here um oh no I don't I don't know how to pronounce it uh Emily or Amelie Kuwachu I'm not sure but he was wow yeah incredible incredible oh i'm sorry that was the the, i was like that doesn't seem right that's um that was the first black christine let's see first black phantom of the opera norm lewis yeah that seems a lot more right yeah that was definitely (laughs) i was like i was like emily i don't know that's him um yeah norm lewis uh and he was incredible that was very cool to see that moment happening this was what 2014 or something like that Mm -hmm. 2015 um which is kind of incredible that that show had been on for 20 years and they never had a black phantom that's insane yeah that's it's a little ridiculous but norm lewis was great so one of my (laughs) the opening scene of phantom of the opera is one of my top three it's so good the the second the chandelier starts rising over the audience um i was completely sobbing like just full streams i felt like i couldn't breathe you know it, but it, that was also just because it was the first broadway show i'd ever seen it was like my my love of life so that was one of my top three and then the other one this is so funny too <laughs> it's actually um 
cats. I do not like cats. I genuinely think <laughs> cats is the sorry cats. I think it's like so boring. I can't, I, there's no plot. I literally have no idea what's going on the entire show. It's a spectacle show. It's dancing, yeah. it's costumes, it's music. I get that. But no, it's not for me. Um, But <laughs> memory okay. was everything that I ever imagined uh that song to be and more it was just so overpowering yeah I like couldn't yeah I was also just crying the whole time like it was incredible it was incredible so those are my those are my top two that was like a long-winded explanation of the other random things that's totally fair and then uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber is cats also so exhibit 6,000 of him writing spectacle shows with like stupid lyrics but they're like really fun (laughs) Memory actually has pretty lyrics, though. Memory has beautiful lyrics. Memory yes. doesn't even sound like memory, and maybe like music of the night are yes. so different than his other songs. And and those are the most famous songs from both of those shows. So it goes to show you that right. even when you're doing a spectacle show, people appreciate um, amazing lyricism. Right, he has it in him. I'm really glad they're turning the color purple musical into a movie because I want to experience it yeah I mean it's one of those shows that I I can't I mean I wish the revival would have run longer honestly it hasn't it wasn't on Broadway that long it's 2005 to 2008 and then 2015 to 2017 yeah but it's it's a top yeah it's a top three show for me probably um it it's still to this day like something that I think about I I also, I love that book uh, so much. I read it in high school. Now I really want to read it again. But I remember, like, it, like, low-key, like, like, I was, it it was the best book I read in high school, probably. Yeah. If not, if not one of them. But I remember, like, feeling so, like, changed by it. And, like, year where I really, really started to, like, love literature. But the one thing about it was that pissed me off we had the so basically we didn't have enough time in the school year to read all of the books in the curriculum so they had us pick between right books and then we would basically teach the other kids about the book we read and they would sure they read and it was a choice between the color purple and huckleberry finn sure and i want to three people that chose color purple the color purple who were the, uh, there were other girls one was another girl was a girl of color but they're not a black girl but one was an asian girl um and we had to explain the color purple to the entire yeah, everyone else and everybody else read huckleberry finn and which first of all no they didn't because it sucks like they didn't read it yeah. you know they didn't read it they just yeah. like yeah I mean honestly that's how I experienced the color purple too because it was one of those I was going to my cultural history of the American people class my chap class and we had we got a list of things we could choose from I think Huck Finn was on ours that that year too I actually ended up reading too because the grapes of wrath was also on there and I actually really love that book I really love that book yeah um it's gorgeous in my opinion, the writing is just really pretty. But I read I read The Color Purple too. The Color Purple is such a quick read. Um, but yeah, it was the kind of the same situation. I think like two people read The Color Purple. Like, but 
oh man like you know and i don't i'm not i'm not qualified to speak on this i'm not <laughs> i i am a woman but i'm not a person of color but i think it just speaks to like the fact that uh black women's stories are not heard right. um even when they're in yes she won the pulitzer but this is like literary people saying this is a great literary book like this should be required reading literally required reading for any any history course in high school and that means that boys should be reading this book too not just women because women and especially black women and women of color are uh you know to some extent live a lot more of this book than the men do but guess what that that means that men should be reading the book so that they have at least a a smidgen of understanding of what it might be like to be an abused woman to be a woman who's con- continuously beaten down done wrong uh, uh taken advantage of and just treated like an object or a piece of trash uh by men their whole life right. like it, it, every every boy should have to read this book yeah genuinely i agree especially over like tom sawyer and huckleberry finn we yeah, have like yeah i'm not going to be the person to say you need to take them out of the curriculum but at this right. point i'm like okay these are both about white boys who just encounter black people and they were written by a white man oh my god as opposed to a story about black women written by black women like why are we why do we continue to do this so you know it's been it's been obviously the same since 1982 um it was maybe we could even argue a little worse then but at the same time it's like why how you know how are we continuously letting white people tell black people's stories especially especially at a young high school age where it's really important really 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 important that you you get a firsthand experience or a firsthand account of of things because if your first encounter with what it's what it's possibly like to be a black person is told through a white person's story right it's it's just so especially like if you're a kid like me that grew up in white suburbs where you genuinely didn't know like I knew like three black people yeah you need to you need to hear it from black people not from white men talking about black people no yeah it's, also, it's like just not that good of a book either I just don't think that sounds like very good at all no it's it's not <laughs> Um, but that's why I'm also like, that reminds me too, that like, I'm really glad that more black stories are being on Broadway now too. Yeah. Because, um, I love a show that has the opportunity to have an all black cast or like a full color, like Hamilton, like there's never going to be white people in that, except for that one character, two characters. Right. Like I love, and like the color purple, like there's not, there's a few characters in the book in the book like they're not they're seen through through the eyes of black people right and And, it makes them feel very different and like what's that new one 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 strange loop that everybody's talking about i'm dying to see it i'm dying just a strange looper yeah i think it's a strange loop yeah it won the tony um i haven't seen it yet I mean, even even Hades Town is is 
almost all people of color. Um, there are a couple. Hades is white, um, which is a little funny and <laughs> makes a little bit of sense. It makes uh, a lot of sense. You know, when you see, and that's almost the, the vibe of the color purple, when you see uh, the white characters in a very unflattering light, <laughs> it gives you the smallest insight, the smallest insight into what it might be like to, and to not be a white person. Right. We love to see it. Amazing. Annie, thank you for coming on the podcast. No problem. You know so much about me. Like, this was so cool to learn about. Because we never have really talked. I know you love musical theater. But I've never actually gotten to hear you talk about it in depth. And it was, like, so nice to hear you talk about it. Oh, well, it's my, it's probably my number one love in life. Yeah. It really is. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. I think that you can tell stories through theater that wouldn't reach a lot of other audiences um yeah I love it nothing makes me cry like performance art yes me either like I don't cry I don't cry during books that often I'll cry during movies like a decent amount but I will cry anytime I see any musical any dance production no matter how happy or sad it is oh yeah me too me too I was just looking through I keep a running list on my phone of um shows that I've seen uh just to kind of you know and I was like even at the like the ones that weren't you know as good uh like for instance I saw King Kong (laughs) (laughs) there's still things that I can find to really appreciate about the innovation um and the storytelling ability for each one of these these shows that I'm looking back at now, um, the color purple being one of one of the best one of the best storytelling books and musicals I've ever ever seen in my life. Wow! What fun! What a treat! Thank you to Annie Planka for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Next week, Marissa and I are... No, next week is the beginning of Hispanic Heritage Month. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marissa and I are each reading books by um, Hispanic or Latinx is a better term, authors. I, I have a choice between two books of short stories. Nice. Um, Maria Maria by Marcia K. Rubio and... The Dangers of Smoking in Bed by Marina Enriquez. And then Marissa read a horror book by V. Castro. Um, But yeah, that's next week. And thanks for listening. Thanks to Annie. And that's all they wrote. Bye, everybody. All right. I forget what I was even talking about.